Hello, it's me. I'm in California dreaming about going to Narnia. Hello, and welcome to Chronically Narnia, the podcast in which my co-host and I discuss the Chronicles of Narnia, chapter by chapter, and today we are discussing chapter 9 of The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. This chapter is called The Island of the Voices. Spooky. I am thump, thump, thump. Thumping invisible creature, <laughs> also known as Kristen, mm-hmm. and this is my co-host. <laughs> I'm a uh, I'm a nice little girl from foreign parts. Okay, well, also known as Chris. Welcome, Chris. I'm glad you could join me today. From foreign parts. From these foreign parts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyhow, hi, hi. Welcome to the chapter. I know this is this is the island of the voices. Mm-hmm. This is an this is a chapter or this is an island rather that I'm really anxious to see how you fit into your uh, seven deadly sins theories. So am I. Uh, this is a weird chapter. <laughs> it's a very odd one that that will that we'll get into. Um, like plot wise, not not a lot really happens here. True. It's a How- very it's a very concise chapter plot wise. However, there there are a few notable things that I want to get into, and I have some interesting stuff I think for my uh, baseless speculation. Fabulous! So let's uh, let's so kick let's, it off. Let's how are we, kick it off. What how, do we do when we start this podcast? Well, uh, I believe we start with a summary. Fabulous. Mm-hmm. How do we do that? We pick five sentences out of the chapter, and then we read them to summarize the chapter and get a baseline for you know what the what the story is and what to talk about. All right. Fabulous. Who wants to go first? Um, I, I'll go first. You sure? I do. Okay, go for it. Are you sure? I do. All right. That's how our wedding went. (laughs) And do you? I do. Are you sure? I do. (laughs) All right, here's my five sentence summary from chapter nine. Presently, they came to a long, straight, sanded path with not a weed growing on it and trees on either hand. It is folly to think of avoiding an invisible enemy by any amount of creeping and skulking. Oh, yes, this magician then, he goes upstairs, for you must know he kept all his magic things up there and we all live down below. I say he goes upstairs and puts a spell on us. Well then, to put it in a nutshell, said the chief voice, we've been waiting for ever so long for a nice little girl from foreign parts, like it might be you, Missy, that would go upstairs and go to the magic book and find the spell that takes off the invisibility and say it. If the queen's heart moves her to risk the magician, I will not speak against it. Fun. Uh, We had the same for sentences four and five. Okay. (laughs) So our, our last two are there. Uh, and I debated about doing five that way because I was going to have five be like uh, whatever the sentence is where Lucy is saying she'll do it because yeah. I feel like making it reba cheap. Talking about Lucy is talking is taking away her agency as a strong female character. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you did that too, so I won't judge myself too harshly. Wow. <laughs> but anyway, here's my summary. Wow. It was a very different country from any they had yet seen. Lucy knew there was no time to sit puzzling as to what these invisible creatures might be. Invisible. Invisible. And when they arrived there and saw the boat lying where they had left her, and the smooth sand with no one to be seen on it, more than one doubted whether Lucy had not merely imagined all she had told them. Well then, to put it in a nutshell, said the chief voice, we've been waiting ever so long for a nice little girl from foreign parts, like, might be you, missy, that would go upstairs and go to the magic book and find the spell that takes off the invisibleness and say it. 
If the queen's heart moves her to risk the magician, I will not speak against it. There you go. Same same last two sentences really feels like that's part of the crux of the chapter. So It, it might be. Right. Well, let's go ahead and dive in. They, uh, they made it to another island on the very last possible day that they could have continued in the direction they were going, which is, you know, convenient. Fortuitous. <laughs> very convenient. Um, so, some might say too convenient. Some might say contrived. Uh, uh-huh. So they, they make it there, and they find a different sort of country than they've seen before, because all these other islands that they've encountered are just, like, very barren, you know, uninhabited or uninhabitable places, uh, kind of very wild and windswept out islands just out in the middle of nowhere. This one is, like... You know, like, like with dragons and... Yeah. Dragons and, and, and dragon sign. <laughs> uh, but this one is, is very well manicured. Yes. It's got freshly cut grass. It's got neatly ordered trees like somebody has taken care of this one. And it's also silent. Mm-hmm. E- except for the th- the cooing of pigeons, there is no other noise on this entire island. Which is, e- like, once we reveal that there's invisible people, <gasps> somehow <sighs> there, there's invisible creatures of some kind. Mm-hmm. They walk, or like, they, they make this big thumping noise when they're moving around. Yeah. And so how is the whole island silent? Like, it would have to have, like, some serious rolling hills or something, which is not described as having, mm-hmm. in order to have the sound absorption necessary for them to hear nothing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this this is a weird chapter. It's a weird tone. Yes. And uh, my first thought when I read it was, like, this is just, like some serious Lovecraft vibes going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's some very Lovecraftian vibes here. Uh, because they go to, like, the, you know, they find this mysterious silent island where everything is, like, well-kept, but they don't see anybody there. Like, there's a, you know, there's drum beats in the distance and this mysterious thumping noise. Yes. Uh, and then, it you know, these invisible creatures. Yes. Which we can't perceive, which we which we later find out are, are horrific abominations created by a dark magician. Like... <laughs> It's, it's creepy. There's some creepy yeah. stuff going on here. Yes, there is. Also, they come to a house mm-hmm. where they enter the archway and see a water pump pumping with no one around, yeah. which this is prior to them knowing that there's invisible creatures there. Mm-hmm. So, the, you know, Eustace goes, machinery! We've made it to a civilized land after all. And then we have the realization as the reader who knows that there's invisible creatures that there's probably an invisible creature standing right there pumping at the water pump. Yes, and this it's it's which my also issue. apparently doesn't make noise. Yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> it's a very well greased water pump. However, that's my issue with this chapter is that it's it, I think it's full of holes, both intentional and unintentional plot holes. The okay. intentional ones we're going to get to in my baseless speculation at the end of the uh, the episode. But I, I feel like there's a bunch of plot holes here where, like, all right, and, and this one we're going to a- approach in a much less, like, chronologically consistent way because I think it lends itself to that. Okay. Because we have to, like, go back and forth between information that we have and information that we, you know, gets revealed. And I think, number one, there's a massive plot hole where we, we establish these invisible people on the island. Yeah. Uh, that lo- that can still be heard, like they're not silent. Uh, and Lucy is the one, though, who encounters them for the first time, in much the same way that Lucy is always the one that encounters Narnia as a whole, or Aslan, or mm-hmm. all of these different things. And she is constantly, constantly put in the position of having to convince everybody else that there's something more here. Yeah. And... It feels like Lucy has just become this, like, symbol for, like, hey, there's something more here, guys. Mm-hmm. Like, what? Like, I don't know. There's something about Lucy's character where it's just, like, it's getting to the point where it's frustrating that she is always the one who is more observant than anybody else or, like, witnesses something that nobody else sees. Yeah. And for Edmund, at this point, he trusts her implicitly now. Mm-hmm. So, like, if she says it, he's like, okay, like, I have to believe and support you, especially if we're in Narnia. Yeah. But, like, nobody else has any reason to rely on her for that kind of information. So, like, you included the sentence in your summary where they, they doubted her. Mm-hmm. 
And so I appreciated you including that sentence, but I did kind of want to dive into Lucy specifically being this, you know, observer, like the one to whom all of this was revealed. Yeah, maybe this is like just Lewis being very prescient and progressive and being like, this is an allegory for why you should listen to women when they tell you things. Um, (laughs) Given his attitudes on women, probably not. Uh, However... (laughs) No, I I think it's interesting that she is often that character. Uh, Though I do think this is the first... I think it lends itself to our whole Lucy is the Holy Spirit thing. But yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I interrupted you. (laughs) You do that when you get excited. You're excited about this chapter. A little bit. So anyway, I think we encounter our first plot hole here when Lucy encounters the voices for the first time. And she has a rock in her shoe, so she's stopping to undo her shoe and get the rock out, and she's just by this path, and we have it described as this very well-manicured, sandy path with these, like, lined with trees. Like, there's horticulture here. Like, they're not out, like, in the middle of the woods somewhere. Like, they're not wandering through the, uh, Mirkwood. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, along the forest path. Also, there's this line that I want to read that said, her, la- her lace had got into a knot. Oh, no. It's what it's supposed to do. <laughs> But my my point being... I've never heard someone refer to a shoelace just as a lace. And so I had to read that sentence twice to figure out what he was talking about. Because I was so... Her lace got into a knot. <laughs> what? Mm-hmm. It's your what? Shoe, shoelace. Got it. Yeah. So anyway, she talks, uh, stops to take her shoe off. And here's these, these thumping sounds. And they stop. What it says is about 20 feet away from her. And then she hears the voice, and then hears this conversation that they're having, where these voices start talking about, oh, we need to cut them off before they go back to their ship, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. and talking about an ambush. Yes. We can assume later, based on all the context clues, that the invisible people can still see fine. Yeah. They can they see everything fine. Yes. So why do they not see Lucy that's sitting 20 feet away from them? It's like she's alone. That's the little, the little girl they're looking for. So this is the plot hole you want to talk about. Well, this is... You don't want to talk about the fact that we've never established that Lucy got shoes back after kicking her shoes off when she fell into the water. Um, I I mean, we can assume that she did. We can assume that. Because she got clothes at at Burns. Yes. However, we've never actually established that she got shoes back, nor that Narnian shoes have laces. At no point have we established that. Yeah. So why does she have shoelaces? Um... In this clean, manicured path, how did she get a rock in her shoe on this sandy path? Mm-hmm. Um, well, these, so I, these I, are I have minor. these questions prior to why don't the thumping invisible <laughs> creatures see her? Uh, but it does establish that she is up against a tree and she hears the sound and pushes herself up against the tree. So she she is making an effort to hide, and yeah. she just rolled a nat twenty on her stealth check. Okay, like uh-huh. you don't gotta be that way. We're blending They're, our podcasts now. They, they failed their perception roll. Yeah, that's the thing. I just, I just thought that was the first minor plot hole because, like, it's twenty feet away. Like, I don't know. I, I, I don't believe that she was able to hide sufficiently. I mean, so, anyway. she also didn't know what she was hiding from, so she was hiding from a noise. And when you hide from a noise, you tend to hide a lot more effectively than when you hide from a known enemy. Like, whoa. Whoa, dude. Just in my experience, hiding from a noise. How often do you hide from noises? In my life? Yeah. Like hundreds of times. What dangerous world do you live in where you're just hearing mysterious noises you feel the need to hide from on a consistent basis? You hide from noises all the time. Like when? Like when I yell at you and you try to run away from the conversation. Yeah, that's a known threat. <laughs> that's not mis- That's not mysterious. But it's a noise. <laughs> yes. Anywho, so she overhears the the voice, and this is where we establish some more like weird Lovecraft stuff. It's because like there's this voice that says things, and then there's like the Greek chorus of voices that chime in yes. and just agree with and support whatever the main voice is saying. Yes. And like w- considering like we're talking about you know abominations that are invisible, like this 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 imagery is like very disturbing. It's just like the, the the other voices have no agency. They're just there to lend weight to what the original voice is saying, as if they're under some sort of, like, thrall or spell. Yeah. And, like, 
are Absolutely. just there and it's like a mind control thing yeah and it's, or they're uh, cultists <laughs> yeah and if you're going into your your cthulhu-esque-ness yeah so the, there's a bunch of cultists so she overhears this and is just like well they're attacking talking about attacking the crew in an ambush so i need to run off and warn everybody else she goes off and warns everybody else and then they they find the manor house they find the mysterious water pump that's going and then lucy shows up to tell them that there's invisible creatures. Uh-huh. Which, apparently, the the invisible person who's manning the water pump is just like, yep, new people on the island. I'm just gonna stand here and keep pumping. Who cares? They're there. Yeah. <laughs> just, uh, that's not necessarily a plot hole, just like a weird moment where just like... No, it may also be an enchanted water pump that's pumping on its own. Yeah. We don't know. There's obviously some kind of magic at work here. There's a magician who invisibled a bunch of ugly things. Apparently made them ugly first. <clears throat> they they invisible themselves. Sorry. Mm-hmm. There is Get magic. Right. <laughs> There's magic. Afoot. But these invisible creatures can obviously use magic. Because magic has now become something that isn't inherent to any given thing like the witch or Aslan or the magician. Mm-hmm. As it has been established in Narnia up to this point. Yeah. And will be later confirmed with like the magician's nephew where there is this kind of royal magic association Mm -hmm. previously in our podcast and later in the writing yeah that the magician and this the magic use access and this royal tea like has this kind of overlap Mm -hmm. and these thumping creatures just went up and read the spell which would imply that they have some kind of access to magic power because as magic has been presented in narnia up to this point it isn't something that just anyone can use. Well, and it's not something anybody can use in this chapter either because they specifically need a little girl because yeah. apparently for whatever weird reason, either the magician or a little girl can do this and nobody else can. Yeah, it's very different rules. <laughs> Even though we have two royal males present, which we will later establish that this kind of royalty magic use thing is a concept in Narnia, like it's inconsistent. Yeah. Now, is this island specifically need to have some kind of separate rules for magic, mm-hmm. or or what? Like it's it's weird. But yes, we've established that somehow little girls have access to more magic freedom than other people. Yeah. Which is which is odd, weird. It's this kind of like weird virgin complex like i don't even know like there is so much you can go into with that where it's like yeah no only like a pure child of the female variety who can create life can be an instrument and tool of magic like it's it's very odd but it also echoes this kind of idea of lucy being this holy spirit like revealer of deeper knowledge frequently mm-hmm. a, a open to more things mm-hmm and so, yeah, the, the the whole little girl thing, like, uh, it makes me, it gives me yucky feelings, and I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, anyway, go ahead, continue. But that's supposed to inspire you, Bug, that you as a little girl could do magic. Not anymore. You're too old. But. Yep. <laughs> Darn. <laughs> anyway, so Lucy goes and warns everybody, and they're just like, well, hmm, we have a problem. How do we fight invisible em- enemies? And your Reva Cheap's just like, I wonder if they turn visible when you stick a sword through them. Yep. Which is great. Also, we have established in, in like, a previous combat situation where, like, the mice in Narnia in Prince Caspian mm-hmm. were essentially invisible enemies to Miraz's forces. Yeah. And so Reepicheep is approaching this very much as someone who is used to being the invisible enemy, and he's like, yeah, we can't out-sneak them. Yeah, Reaper Cheap's very like smart in this chapter, and he he he's kind of driving the ideas behind how to uh, how to proceed here, and he has a he has a few like I almost want to say character growth moments mm. where it's it's Reaper Cheap not just being like let's hit it with a thing, and this is him like actually learning how to play the game, and uh, you know, sorry. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's it, but Reaper Cheap is also someone who is familiar. Like he has been in combat. He's yeah. he is very familiar with strategy and and actually and he is used to being the stealthier enemy. Mm-hmm. And so in that case he knows that he's outclassed in stealth in this case. Therefore, he has to approach this in a different way. 
Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's all in line with his character, yeah. to me at least. I wouldn't call this a character growth moment. I would find it as more of like a revelatory moment of more of his character for you. Like, this is stuff that's already there, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. If only they had a bunch of flour on the ship, they could just like throw in the air and coat the... Uh... Yeah, but apparently when things touch these creatures, yeah. they also mm-hmm. go invisible. Which is fascinating. It's fascinating magic. Yeah. Because, uh, <laughs> like, they can hold their spears, and their spears are invisible. Whoa. But then as soon as it leaves their hands, mm-hmm. it becomes visible again. Yeah. So we we talk about strategy, and they're going to try to get down to the ship. And, you know, they, they, they think about trying to fake them out and, like, going and moving the ship further down the bay. But, oh, hey, it's not deep enough, et cetera, et cetera. So and apparently to... they only have one rowboat on the ship. They're, they're not prepared to evacuate in case the ship goes down. They don't have enough lifeboats. Yeah, they only have one <laughs> rowboat on the ship, which, I mean, I get, but also I don't get. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. you have to take everybody in to land. Like, if the whole ship was going to empty onto land, they have to go one rowboat at a time. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. It's like, it's like the island ferry. They only got one little zodiac. You have to <laughs> ferry people back and forth. Uh, anyway, so... They wander back down to the ship, and then they get confronted with these invisible folk. And the chief voice is just like, no further, there's 50 of us here. We've all got weapons. We will absolutely kill you. How do they know that there's 50 of them? Like, can they see each other? Um, they, we, we've established that they can't see each other. However, you could probably very easily just do, like, a, a voice count. Yeah. And be like, hey, Jim, you here? Sure. Okay. Okay. Go through the line. I get you. Like, okay. that'd be pretty easy. Uh, so anyway, we they confront the the crew, and they're just like, "Hey, so you go and listen to us. Mm-hmm. We don't want to kill you, but we right, will kill rightly you." Rightly said, sir. Rightly, yes, chief. <laughs> Couldn't and, have said it better myself. Yeah, and the, all the time the chorus is just backing up the chief voice guy, who makes them stop and tells them a story, and it's just like, "Hey." We need your help, kind and, of, sort of. And he, he puts it all in a nutshell for us. You yeah. Know, like, to cut a long story short. Yeah. Um, he does it in, like, the most efficient way possible. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> most efficient way possible, except it took seven times longer, because every time he says a sentence, everybody backs him up and, yep. like, gets him pats on the back. Yep. It's so we, weird. We get the much abridged <laughs> version and of the annoying recounting of the tale. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this island uh, has been the property of a great magician time out of mind. So basically the story goes that forever and a day, some very powerful magician has had this island, had a bunch of slaves slash servants working for him, uh, and then asked them to do something that they didn't want to do. We don't get any more information about that. Maybe we do next chapter. I hope we do, because I feel like there's something interesting there. It's just like, well, he wanted us to do something and we're not going to do it. And so he decided to punish us by making us all really ugly. Okay. Um, (laughs) Sure. And so he does that and casts an uglifying spell. And you wouldn't believe how hideous they became. Mm. And so they're just like, well, you know what? We're going to sneak up to his magic book. Because apparently that's all you need is a magic book now. Magician himself has no power. It's all in the book. And we're going to find a spell to turn us all invisible. No, they wanted to find a de-uglifying spell. Yeah. But in their fear of the magician, they just found the first spell that they could use to put them out of their misery, which yeah. was the invisible invisibleness. Yes. So the invisibleness spell, we do that, uh, which they use the little girl to cast because that's necessary, apparently. And But they just happen to know that information. Yeah, they just happen to know that, which is another plot hole we'll get to later. <laughs> Yep. Um, so they happen to know this information. They cast the invisibility spell, and then they go off their separate ways, and they're all of a sudden they're just tired of being invisible, and they want to be able to see each other. Well, they also realized that they turned the magician invisible as well. Yes. Oops. Uh, third plot hole that we'll get to. I'm just making a list of these things. <laughs> uh, so they turn the magician invisible as well. They don't know where he went off to, but they're tired of it, and they're just like, we need a little girl to cast the spell, apparently. So we've been waiting for people to stumble across the island. And we're too scared of the magician to, to go upstairs. To send, to send anybody of ours. Yep. Yep. So their their whole plan was basically to wait around, hoping that somebody eventually stumbles across this island that's like weeks and weeks past the last 
point of civilization, which seems like a pretty terrible plan to me. It does. Because uh, that's does. Uh, the odds of anybody but stumbling across it. we don't know what amount of civilization is beyond them. We don't. I mean, there could be an entire continent two days sailing from them that... Hmm, there could be. We, we still have yet to met, meet the Duffelpuds. Maybe they have a vast and glorious civilization. <laughs> uh, whoever they are. Um, but that's the gist of it. Are they, they're the next chapter, right? No, the no. next chapter is Magician's Book. Got it, okay. Something like uh, that. I thought you were looking at the chapters. I thought no. that's why you were referencing it. No. No, the, yeah, the next chapter is The Duffelpuds Made Happy. Okay. So we have the Magician's Book and then the Duffel Puts Made Happy. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then the Dark Island. <laughs> that, I think, is... I think that you're really going to like the Dark Island. Just, like, from a conceptual standpoint. Anyway, continue. Anyway, so that's the gist of it. They need a little girl. <laughs> and they're just like, hey, we don't want to kill you. But if your little girl doesn't do this, we're going to kill all of you. Yeah. And he does make the statement being like a... And he says, we all swore that the first strangers has landed on this island, having a nice little girl with them. I mean, for if they hadn't, it'd be another matter. And I'm curious as to what he means by that. It's just like, would they just like wantonly slaughter everybody if they didn't have a little girl with them? Would they just let them go and not reveal themselves? Like, what's the other matter that he is referring to here? Attacking them, killing them. You know, it's, it's, it's a threatening, ominous statement. Mm hmm. Uh, and so they kind of threaten the whole crew into doing this. And Lucy's just like, no, I want to help. I want to do this. Totally not because they're going to kill all of you if I don't. Uh, I'm not being coerced. But yeah, I'm making the decision to do this myself. And then there's back and forth about it. And Reaper Chief's just like, you know what? We can't fight him. So if the queen wants to do this, the queen, you know, I'm not going to speak against it. Reaper Chief's cool with this. And there's this character development line uh, for Reepicheep. As no one had ever known Reepicheep to be afraid of anything, he could say this without feeling at all awkward. Yeah. So, like, he, 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 has, the, he has the gravitas and the weight to, to make statements about uh, taking things more slowly because we know he's not afraid of anything, and he's not just saying this because he's afraid to fight. But then, like, I don't... I'm, I read that sentence a couple times, and I just didn't understand it because he has... All he said is, if the queen wants to do it, let her do it. Because he's... And, like, and then there's this sentence that's like, he's never been afraid, so this could be said without being awkward. But when he said it, all of the boys who had been afraid before got red in the face. Like, <laughs> what, what, what about that statement would make you embarrassed? Like, if she wants to do it, she should do it. If she wants to risk, like... Are they afraid of the magician and, like, Reepicheep is calling them out for being less brave than Lucy? Like, I don't I don't understand that. Like, it doesn't make sense. I don't know. I, I, it was an awkward line. I read, I originally read that line as, as them being angry about it rather than embarrassed, but. But, like, read the sentence. Yeah. As no one had ever known Reepicheep to be afraid of anything, he could say this without feeling at all awkward. But the boys, who had all been afraid quite often, grew very red. That's an embarrassment, that, red. Yeah, yeah, okay. That's not That's not them being mm-hmm. angry. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. It's just... It's a drunk red. They all pulled out flasks and just started <laughs> chugging. I, I don't know. I just... It feels like a really... Like, I don't know. It, I just... I don't understand it. Yeah, it, it is kind of, kind of vaguely written. Uh, so we, we decide that Lucy's going to do this, and then the invisible folk invite them to come have non-invisible food with them. I mean, she's like, only agreeing to do it as long as she doesn't have to do it at night. Because, you know, that night would just make it much more dangerous. Now, what time of day did they arrive at the island? Um. It's in the first paragraph. Uh-huh. Dawn. Yeah. Right ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Sunrise. Okay. So... Why is it already dinner time? Why is she concerned about having to do this at night? Why are they going to stay the night here and eat dinner with them oh, before she goes? Like, they got there at dawn. They walked less than a mile, it feels like. Oh, found a house, came back, had a conversation. Like, 
We don't know how long the path was. Like, Well, we don't know be. how long the path was. We also don't know that that story didn't take three hours to tell. But even mm-hmm. if it did... They stopped and have a nice lunch, you know? Nice little two-hour lunch on the trail. They did not. <laughs> they haven't stopped to eat. They're, They're concerned about, like... It's not even lunchtime. And Lucy's like, I'm not going to go up there in the dark. Like, it doesn't... <laughs> I think you're searching for issues here. No, 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 no. I have issues. <laughs> I don't have to look for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there's there's issues here. It's it, it's a departure of tone for the chapter, and, like, the writing is, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and very unclear in some parts. Uh, gosh, I, I have a lot of stuff I want to talk about in the baseless speculation section. Okay. However... There is something that I was going to bring up here, which I did think was interesting, and it's a line worth noting. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. That's Maybe. interesting. Somebody buy me a thesaurus and send it to me if you're uh, <laughs> tired of me doing this. So the section is, we never reckoned on this magician, the one I was telling you about before, going invisible too, but we haven't ever seen him since. So we don't know if he's dead or gone away, or whether he's just sitting upstairs being invisible, or perhaps coming down and being invisible there. And believe me, it's no manner of use listening because he always did go about with his bare feet on, making no more noise than a great big cat. Yes. Like a lion, maybe. Uh Uh-huh. So, is this the emperor across the sea? Since we're not at the end of the journey, I'm going to assume no. Okay. However, I, I, you know... Could, could it be the magician is Aslan? Could they be completely lying about this entire thing? Like, could, do we do we know the full truth of what's going on here? Well, what do you think? Well, we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, however, that's basically what happens in the chapter. Is, is there anything that we didn't cover? It's like I like as we said, plot wise, it's a very yep. I don't concise. think I don't think there's anything we didn't cover plot wise in this. Yeah, they land on the island. They find invisible folk. Overhear a plot get confronted by the invisible folk and agree to help them. Yep. That's that's the basic rundown of what it is. Yep. Cool. Uh, should we go into our rewrites then? Okay. Sure thing. If we're if we're covered. Yeah, I did my summary first, so you can go ahead and do your rewrite first. Alright. So this is the section that we call Narnia Chopped and Screwed. And if you haven't listened before, this is a weird time to start, but if you haven't this is where we go back to the chapter and find five sentences that we just used to tell a new story and have fun with it. This is our one creative activity in a week. <laughs> Speak for yourself. My right D&D campaigns. Anywho. So I'm not super proud of this one. I just kind of tried to lean into the creepiness of the chapter in the first place. Okay. Here we go. You've no idea what sort of creatures they are, Lou asked Edmund. What she heard was a thumping. If these creatures mean to bring us to battle, be sure they will succeed. And so, accompanied by an enormous noise of thumpings, which became louder when they reached the flagged and echoing courtyard, they all went back to the house. Then came the voice. So I was I was trying to do something really creepy and Lovecraftian with it, but I just couldn't find the sentences to make that work. Uh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So there you go. It, it was kind of boring. I'm not proud of it, but go ahead. Wow us with your story, please. All right. Okay. Here we go. Thump. 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 And whatever it was might be very close now, for she could feel the ground shaking. Machinery said Eustace. There was an uncomfortable pause. I do believe we've come to a civilized country at last. But we haven't seen him since. Okay, okay. I like yours more. Thank you. It's fun. (laughs) Some sort of giant mechanical thing. Possibly. Fun. I like it. Mine, I was envisioning a very, like, Howl's Moving Castle kind of thing <laughs> in my head. I gotcha. So. That'd be a, that'd be a fun island to go to. Yes. Uh, all right. So that being said, let's uh, move on right into our baseless speculation segment. And 
I have a, an extra long intro I have to do for this one now. So before doing the podcast, I had only read <laughs> The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. So I don't know plot-wise what's going to happen in most of these books. There have been times that I've discovered information about what happens that I've tried to be very open and honest about. However, for the most part, I don't know what's going to happen in the rest of this book. So based on the information that I have, I am baselessly speculating what the plot might be. Okay. Now that that disclaimer is out of the way. (laughs) Oh, man. So first of all, we have to hit the idea of the islands being the seven deadly sins. And this is a toughie. This is a real tough one. Because what we've done before is we've already done greed, pride, and sloth. Is what we've covered. So what we're left with is wrath, envy, lust, and gluttony. And by process of elimination... I don't, it's, it's hard because it's a kind of a two-parter where like next chapter is the magician's book. We're going to go like resolve the plot on this island and that might completely change what, what it looks like here. Oh yeah. But I'm going to say that like gluttony is probably out. Okay. Since I don't see how we could possibly fit that in. Wrath. The magician turned them ugly. I mean, is that, is that a use of wrath? Maybe I'm, I almost want to lean into envy with this one. Okay. Because, like, there's a power imbalance here where we have, like, the magician with his big old house and all his power. And we have, like, the lowly folk who, like, you know, maybe become envious of his position. And that's why they rebel and decide to, uh, you know, not do what he asks. Or, or maybe there's a reversal in, like, you know, the this this old decrepit magician as we've said like the magician has controlled this island from like time immemorial yeah it's like he's been here forever maybe he's like an old decrepit magician that envies like the strength and vigor of those who serve him and it's just like you know what i'm gonna punish them by making them as hideous as i am oh and and maybe that's kind of a a thing where we could lean into with envy like that's that's the closest i can get uh to to making this fit we might have to change that uh in the next chapter, Kristen did say something really like vague about uh, me having to rework my my island sins based on what happens in the next one, possibly. Possibly, that's based off of some of the articles <laughs> I was reading that support your idea that each island represents seven one of the seven deadly sins. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like in in support of that, like I mm-hmm. have read a couple of articles that agree with you, but one of your islands you've already declared those articles thought was something else okay well and i'm saying you might have to rework them by the end of this probably will uh we'll we'll get more into that at the end of the book i guess um so we'll figure out what what sin this is next question where's our lord here because this has been the theme where all these islands uh we've encountered one of the other lords who've been who've you know met a different fate is the magician the lord I don't think so. I don't think so just because the lead guy is just like, you know, he's owned this island forever. And like, you know, I I don't know precisely when the Seven Lords set out, but it was like, what? It was within Caspian's lifetime, was it not? This was, Um, this didn't happen before he was born. Yeah, because, because Byrne recognizes Caspian. No, he recognizes Caspian as looking like his father. Okay. So... It, 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 it was after Miraz took over, which means it was after the death of Caspian's father, mm-hmm. because Miraz sent them out, which means that Caspian would have had to have been born already. Yeah. So yes, it was within Caspian's lifetime. Otherwise, Caspian's dad couldn't have been dead. Yeah. So, so yeah. Because so, that's how, that's how yes. parentage works. Yes. <laughs> so it's within a 15 year time span. Which is, like, not a lot of time for one of the lords to, like, wander off and find this island and terraform the entire thing and build a giant house and get a bunch of slaves. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't think the timeline works. Could the lord be the chief voice? Ooh, there you go. That's an idea. Could this be the ent- the entire crew from one of the... Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, the there's the lord and the entire crew. Now why the crew is just like basically puppets of the chief voice and does and does nothing but echo what he's saying i don't know we could get into that um but i'm leaning toward the lord being the chief voice okay 
and we're gonna and we're gonna figure that out how how they end up enslaved to a magician who owns this island who knows but we'll we'll cover that in the next chapter i guess however uh and and this is like the meat of my baseless speculation here is i think that all the invisible folk or at least the chief voice is just absolutely full of crap like the story that he tells is full of a bunch of holes and i think it is just completely made up and we're not getting at all the accurate picture of what's happened here. Well said, Chief. Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, like, there's a lot of weird plot holes. Like, oh, hey, we just magically know that in order for the spell to work, there needs to be a little girl that says it, or the magician himself. Like, we we tell this whole thing about, oh, we didn't count on the magician being turned invisible, too. And, like, we don't know the magician is, or where the magician is. Why wouldn't he just go back and undo the spell immediately? Why not? Why like, indeed? Uh-huh. Like, why would he, he just be okay with this and just be off on the island somewhere? But is he Aslan? <sighs> yeah, like... Is he busy de-lioning some poor kid on another island? Who knows? Who knows? I mean, like, it's there's just a lot about the magician that we don't know. But go ahead, continue. Yeah, and just... Uh, the the fact that when he's telling the story they they're i mean they're they're trying to persuade and intimidate them i guess to to help but in in telling this he's trying to like i guess garner sympathy and be like this is why we need your help but yet completely doesn't go into like you know what the magician's having them do like what did what did they refuse to do for him like, if it was, if, you know, the magician wanted them to do some sort of horrible thing, and they said no, and, like, they, they rebelled against him, like, that's a, you know, that's gaining them sympathy points if they just share that information. So why is it so hush-hush? Yeah, no, I completely agree. Like, what did they do that pissed off the magician enough that he turned them ugly? Yeah, so I just feel like they, they're not sharing a lot, like, why can't we talk to any of the other crew, and the only th- person that we have any input from is the chief voice, like, I just feel like it's full of holes, and they are being uh, at least somewhat dishonest about what their plight is. Okay, fair. And and we might find something something horrific out once we go and make them visible again. Like, we, we don't even know for sure that these are, like, humans. So, who knows? Uh, they might be elephants, for all we know. <laughs> With their thump, thump, thumping. Elephants that can throw spears, that's terrifying. I mean, I've seen elephants paint before. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, I'm, I'm speculating then that the island is going to be Envy. The chief voice is going to be one of the lords. However, he's not being honest. And let's just go for broke and say that the magician is Aslan. So the magician was doing something good and these are rebellious souls mm-hmm. maybe like this is Aslan's summer house and they came in to try to like rob him <laughs> and who knows uh so yeah that's that's basically what i got okay all right any anything you wanted to add no i want to know where lucy's shoes came from i would i did want to spend a little bit of time on the imagery of lucy's shoes and like how this has is now like a repeating thing. I really feel like this book should have been called Lucy's Shoes. Um, OMG Shoes. <laughs> OMG Shoes. Um, but Lucy, we have a little like, and, and don't stop and tie your shoes moment from Lewis without mm-hmm. telling anyone else that you're stopping. She drops behind the group and goes to tie her shoe and this is when she witnesses this. Now, I would say that that, the whole fact that she got plot important information that protected everybody else uh-huh. um, is more evidence that you should stop and tie your shoes and <laughs> undermines everything about Lucy's about Lewis's argument that you yeah. shouldn't do this thing. But either way, mm-hmm. <laughs> Lucy fell into the water, had to kick off her shoes in order to get on the boat. And just track with me because I, I I feel like there's <laughs> something here and okay. I haven't figured out what it is. Okay. Yet. So we'll, I just need to we'll work get, through this maybe we'll for a get moment. There. I'm just doing a little external processing right now. Because the, like, I feel like there is an imagery associated with Lucy's clothing 
as we've also referred to Eustace's dragon hood as a clothing that needed to be removed. Mm -hmm. So like this idea of clothing Mm -hmm. is something that I feel like has a a heavy symbolism in the book that I just haven't been able to pin down yet. Yeah. Because Eustace is told that he needs to undress before getting into the pool. Mm -hmm. And he's unable to do it by himself and Aslan has to help him. Uh-huh. When Lucy arrives, she has to remove part of her clothing in order to be safe and to, to get onto the ship. Uh-huh. She then has to put on Caspian's clothing in order to let her clothes dry. Yeah. She then receives clothing from Byrne and, and gets clothing on the, on the Lone Island. Uh-huh. And is then clad in Narnian clothing. Uh-huh. And has new shoes. Uh-huh. And her clothes aren't referred to again until here, where she has to stop to remove a stone from her shoe, which she has received here in Narnia and clothed herself with Narnian shoes. Mm-hmm. She has been, you know, undressed and reclothed. Uh-huh. I, I don't know. Like, there's something here, and I want to keep looking for more clothing imagery, because there's something in there. Like, there's a paper in there that I can write one day. Um, uh-huh. about about clothing and the symbolism of clothing. Uh, it, it even goes back to like the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe where they, they bring the robes with them into Narnia and mm-hmm. leave them in Narnia and return yeah. without the robes. Correct. Also, like 30 years later in Narnia, they come back to this world with all of their normal clothes on, mm-hmm. but not the robes. Yeah. But they left their clothes in Narnia somewhere. Uh-huh. Like... But then in Prince Caspian, they had to reclothe themselves in their normal clothes before going back to Narnia because they brought their clothes with them. Mm-hmm. Like, <sighs> there's something about the clothes, <laughs> and I just, there's something about clothing. There's a motif here, mm-hmm. or an inconsistency. I'm not sure which, but either way, there's something happening with the clothes in this book specifically that I feel is important to keep an eye on. That's all I have to say about that. Thank you very much. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no, I agree with you. Like, it could very much be a motif. There's a lot of imagery for it. Uh, As to what that could mean, I have no idea. Like, I I got nothing for that. I'd have to sit and chew on that one for a while. Yep. However, that is, that's what I got. I'm curious as to see how this is resolved in the next chapter. So we'll go from there when you want to close this out sure <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today as we discussed chapter nine of the voyage of the dawn treader the island of the voices and it's called the magician's book next week we will be discussing chapter 10 the magician's book and then we will only have six chapters left after that. There's 16 chapters in this book, so we've got seven more episodes in this book. You can see the light at the end of the tunnel, babe. Yep, we're almost wow. we're almost close. We've got arrived closer to the sun. <laughs> you didn't mention that line. Some thought I... that the sunrise looked bigger, and others disagreed. It yeah. bothered you. You thought that that it was it bothered a dumb me because it was really dumb. <laughs> All right, what? So also just wanted to add at the end there that if any of you out there listening are musicians and are trying to come up with like a new album title, something like that, I think Risk the Magician is a great title for an album. Ooh, Risk the Magician. Is this is this you telegraphing to Nathan? Also, yeah. I forgot to do all of the social media stuff, so I'm just going to go ahead and do it here too. Oh, yeah, go ahead. No, I, I mean, not just Nathan. Like, I'm out of our thousands of listeners. I'm sure at least a few of them are musicians that, you know, that... <laughs> thousands. Thousands. Um, so, if you want to share with us your rewrites, summaries, or fan art of invisible creatures, you can do that at Chronically Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, at Chronically Pod on Twitter, or you can email us at chronicallypodcast at gmail.com. You can also give us money if you feel like it, because, you know, we are an island of voices. Hey, Kristen. You can do that at chronically or at patreon.com slash chronicallypodcast. 
Also, uh, Chris has another podcast that we both participate in. He is the dungeon master for our D&D campaign, and we have a live play podcast of that called Carpe DM. And that's the letters D and M, as in Dungeon Master for Dungeons and Dragons. And if you'd like to listen to that, you can do that on the podcasting things. Um, so yeah, that that's that's the part I always forget to do. Yeah, seventy something episodes in. Until next time, uh, don't forget to uh, not knot your laces and to tell people if you stop to take a rock out of your shoe. Mm-hmm. And. Never fight an invisible enemy. Never. Cheers. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> I do. Okay. Go for it. Are you sure? I do. All right. That's how our wedding went. (laughs) And do you? I do. Are you sure? I do. (laughs) So, so yeah. Because that's how that's how parentage works. Yes. (laughs) Omg shoes. Omg shoes. Thank you for coming to my TED talk. (laughs) Just in my experience, hiding from a noise. How often do you hide from noises? And Lucy's like, I'm not gonna go up there in the dark. Um, anyway, I I also need to stop doing that so loudly. (laughs) Bye. What? Uh, No, you can can close it there. I was just going to say. uh, I was just going to say, uh, you know, when are we going to have our. Hobbit episodes recorded enough on the Patreon. Mm-hmm.